Welcome to Isolation Cast, Voices from Quarantine. Welcome back to Isolation Cast, Voices from Quarantine. It's hard to find joy in the start time. We are three, four months in for some people, but because of recent events, I've just gotten to experience something for the first time that everybody's a little shocked by. And I have a friend on the podcast with me who also experienced this. Alan Mendez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Maddie. So, Alan, tell us about yourself. Who are you? How do we know each other? Sure. Uh, well, we met doing theater. Um, we did. At, we did. Uh, at Muhlenberg Summer Music Theater. What was, what was the first show that we did? Was it Hair? Hair. It was yeah, Hair. Yeah, we did Hair. Yep. It was Hair. We did Hair. We did Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Great times. Fun times. Um, yes, I'm an actor. Um, mostly theater. Uh, but uh, I'll do a little bit of everything, you know. You're also, you're uh, like on a, a musical theater songwriting team as well, yes? Composing That's team? That's true. Mendez and Aberman. Um, uh, find us on Instagram. I love um, it. Yeah. So yeah. you are, you're a multifaceted talent. So, Alan, what have we both just experienced for the first time? We have both experienced Avatar The Last Airbender. I know everyone at home is probably screaming like, how, how is this the first time? But... For you and I both, this is the first time that we have watched it start to finish, top to bottom. What has taken you kind of so long to jump on this? Because it is like a pinnacle of several generations worth of like entertainers and just people. I what know. took you so long? Like there, well, like I remember like some friends that I would talk to and say like, I have, I'm finally watching Avatar. And they're like, I'm so surprised that you didn't like watch it before, like mm-hmm. when it had first come out. But I think for me, it was I was just a little bit too old past that mm-hmm. uh, era, past the time when it was coming out. Like you know, I was growing up, and I was like, I'm gonna watch grown up things like uh, you know TBS. Everybody loves Raymond and, and Friends and stuff. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have time for Nickelodeon humor anymore. But um, but I'd actually seen a couple episodes um, from some friends and roommates of mine. Um, just kind of like in and out and was like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. But um, recently I just was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. You know, it's, we're in quarantine, pandemic, you know, what? I got no excuse anymore. Um, and so uh, I, I, I was, it was actually kind of funny because I was watching a couple Kung Fu movies from like, mm-hmm. the, like the first Hong Kong um, kind of beginning of, of when Kung Fu started to reach um, the States and it had it just got me very interested in, um, in Chinese culture and in, uh, in just East Asian cultures in general with martial arts. And so when I started reading about um, those influences in the animation of the different characters, it was just like, I was just able to nerd out mm-hmm. about it in many, many ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, and like, for me, it's one of those things. Cause like, it's so funny that you say that. Cause like there is on my main show, we talk, I, it's, I talk about, there's like a 12 year era of Disney films. I didn't see. Cause I was like, I'm just too cool for this. I'm like yeah. 19. <laughs> this is just whatever. I'm going to go drink. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so like, for me, this was actually hitting the exact same time. So I've, I grew up without cable. So I also didn't have cable at this point. Hmm. So again, accessing this, was difficult for a while, but about four years ago, this was streaming on Netflix and I don't know why I didn't watch it then either, but kind of like you said, we are in quarantine. I've been powering through some things that I know I should have been watching or (laughs) fell very hard, but far behind on. But so I think I posted 
I think I posted something about Avatar, or you did, and we both commented, and we were both like, oh my god, it's our first times, and I immediately, I immediately texted you and was like, you're coming on the show, and we are talking about this. So the other day, I finally finished, and I was like, are you done yet? And I have to share what your response was, because you said, oh, not only am I done, I've watched the live action as everyone at home groans and I watch Cora. So like you have the full gamut of everything now, which is super exciting. So everyone follow along with us. We're just going to kind of talk, not beat by beat in the show. We're going to talk about what we liked. If there was anything we didn't like things that we find effective as like storytellers. And we're just going to keep reliving avatar as many times as we can. So, Absolutely. so join us today. And I love that you brought up this idea of, how they submerge themselves in culture because it's really easy. Like this was like the first major Western anime because it is obviously inspired by like the decades of Japanese animation, which most people know as anime, which at this point also had been kind of like a nerd thing. You watch it in the afternoon on Cartoon Network. You watch it on Saturday nights on Toonami. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing that, it kind of captured and the animation early is a little rough. They were figuring some things out. Sure. Um, But it really was the first of this idea of Western animators being inspired by Eastern animators and not appropriating an art form, but like reveling in that art form and furthering that art form. Because I think this also made, there are a lot of people when you ask, what's your first anime? And it's like, Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon or Avatar The Last Airbender for a lot of people. Um, So, Alan, what were just some things that just stood out for you as you were watching through the show that you just loved? I think I think the characters first, Um, Mm -hmm. like the the characters. It's it's so remarkable. The more I was watching it, like how developed and how nuanced these characters on Mm -hmm. this children's show were you know like the these characters have more substance to them than a lot of primetime tv live action characters oh yeah um and so like to see within the first episode like Sokka says something about how like Katara you're a girl you shouldn't be able to do these things or like I'm a guy I have to do these things and like immediately like subtly not so subtly talking about gender roles Mm -hmm. (laughs) episode one um, and just like going through that, seeing the transformations and the arcs of each of the characters, like mm-hmm. the more I watched the show, the more, the more I came to appreciate and love it. Um, which yeah. I think is also kind of cool because we see the ways that like you, you were talking about how that the animation style kind of changed a little bit, or at least it started mm-hmm. off, um, uh, and in its own way. And I know this is veering mm-hmm. a little bit away from Avatar, but seeing the legend of Korra and seeing some of the animation mm-hmm. choices in there, mm-hmm. they're just, they're so nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it's just really amazing to see the ways that stories can be told and the ways that, um, like the way that this specific animation style can shift and change mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. still, um, honoring some of the different aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you so much. And I think for w- this show, the you could tell the creators and the artists grew with the characters mm-hmm. and the characters continued to grow because for some reason we love to tell these coming of age stories of like 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds. Um, yeah. And so we have we've also got we're launched into a world that has been at war for a hundred years. And so what is, even though like Sokka and um, Katara are, uh, I don't, uh, 
I don't want to say that they are sectioned away, but like they're in a remote village that is away from everything else, but they know, but they're not naive and they know the effects of the fire nation and the stretch of the fire nation, because we know in that first episode that they lost their mother. Like that is something we know quite right away. Um, and I, I agree with you that I think we could talk for a season of a podcast of the growth of each of the characters, but it's, it's one of those things that the creators grew, but they also had the characters grow with the audience. Mm -hmm. And that idea that the audience is going to be getting older and maturing. Um, and something for me with that, they make every character redeemable except fire Lord Ozai because he is the big bad. Yeah. Like even, even Azula who I revel in hating. Can we talk about the beach episode for a hot second? Okay. I think, yeah, actually let's, let's live in the beach. Let's live in the beach moment because I posted on Facebook. I said, I do not know how to think about Ty Lee. I don't know if I'm supposed to like her. I don't know if I want to like her. I don't know if she's actually likable. Cause may, they also make her like, Oh, she's the Daria girl. You really, you could or could not, you could leave her. But Ty Lee seems so different than everyone else in the fire nation to the point where she's almost an air nomad in her physicality. Like you would believe that like you could believe that she came from the, the, the people of the air tribe. Like well, even some of the animation elements in her are, are a little ang like, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, and then um, just skipping to Cora Tenzin's kids, two of his daughters look just like her. Now, again, it's in the same world. You're kind of use character models and things, sure, but yeah, like, yeah. but you know, it's one of those things at the point where I was like, oh, she's supposed to be the likable Fire Nation girl, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I like her. Also, just because like the whole idea that she can block Chi. And was so like watching that, I was like. What was so cool to me about Tylee and May was that these are two... Like, we know that Azula is a badass, right? Like, we yeah. see her, we're like, she can she can do things that, like, Zuko can't do, that, like, it, it, she's, like, very formidable. And she chooses on her team not other firebenders, not other, mm-hmm. like, elemental benders, but two non-benders, you know? Yeah. And so to see their different skills was really cool. And, yeah, and the whole chi-blocking idea is, like... It, introduces new rules to this world. So I think the way that we learn about the rules of the world and the pace at which we learn them are, mm-hmm. is just, is very, very um, successful storytelling. It is. And they keep giving us little things. So I have the, I don't want to say advantage, but it's a disadvantage. I watched Korra first when oh. Korra was first running um, because my ex loved Avatar. I'd seen episodes here and there, so I knew it was happening. Honestly, my first experience with Avatar was the live action movie. It was the first thing. I, <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. I went and saw it and I liked the story. I just thought the movie wasn't effective. You can say what you will. It was very whitewashed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it, and at the time I went, well, it's not awful. It's not the best movie I've seen, but it's not the worst. But sure. now that I've watched the show, I went, Oh God. Um, but so I knew that like bloodbending was a thing. So I was waiting for that bloodbending episode also because I knew it was coming. Um, and there were just little things that like they foreshadowed so much. They gave themselves so much to work with knowing they eventually wanted to do a sequel series. Mm. They were setting in motion things because like the chi blocking is all of season one of Korra. Right. Like that yeah. is, um, 
I forget his name, but like, you know, that's that, it's the whole idea. And then Aman, yes. Um, And so, yeah, but going back to the beach episode, I'm jumping around. (laughs) It, I love slice of life episodes of shows. Yeah. And on um, certain POV, the network I'm on the other day, uh, Screen Snark did talk about the show and they talked about filler and like anime with filler episodes and even episodes that you could quantify as filler episodes for this Mm -hmm. aren't filler. Every episode that is not obviously progressing the plot, the the A plot of everything, it's still laying so much groundwork. Like, we couldn't have had all of season three without the beach episode. Yeah. Like, Zuko could not, Zuko cannot come around. Um, I mean, not to spoil, God, if you guys are listening to this and you haven't watched it, then I'm, we're just going to spoil everything. It's fine. Watch <laughs> it anyway. You can't even have May and Ty Lee coming around. Yeah. Um, but there is something really, it shows how effective Azula actually is as a leader, as a, um, a strategist, mm-hmm. as, as a warrior, and it's it's because every other firebender that we meet except Oz um not Ozai Iroh is hot-headed. They're unpredictable, they're uncontrollable. And because Azula is so practiced and so thought until season three when we watch her unravel, which is a very smart thing they do. It makes sense to have two, well, two bold personalities that aren't terrible to be around, mm-hmm. um, but also two people that are stronger than benders without bending. And so you don't have the, you don't have the unpredictability of a Fire Nation sensibility, uh, right. of a firebender sensibility. And so having them there is so intelligent. And if they chose to save Azula from herself. Um, those two would be her grounding mom. They would be her grounding rod. They would be able to. And I like, I do like that Azula is not, even when we understand and sympathize with her, she's not good. She never comes around. She, and I think that's very important. And I think it's in this episode that really summed up. And I love the voice actress who played Azula because she gets the biting wit. She gets that calm, Sass. It's it's like just she's she's a queer icon without meaning to be a queer icon. Um, but when she's like, my own mother called me a monster. I mean, she was right, but to say that to your eight year old, <laughs> and it's a beat. Oh, and it was I had to pause it and cackle because it's one of those things that like part of the way you still want her to always succeed because at points Team Avatar is not fun to root for. And so to have her have her be so much fun to watch mm-hmm. and it's so much because you can call her rawly evil because she's just truly evil. Um, yeah. But it's so interesting. It's so much fun to watch her be this like mathematician, a strate- like a strategist, like all these things um, and always having that upper hand on Team Avatar um, because there's nothing I hate worse than like the Harry Potter thing where there's always a lot of dumb luck and that's how your protagonist wins the series. Yeah. These characters like actually learn how to grow. And I mean, and you also see the villains or or a lot of the characters painted as villains initially Mm -hmm. grow. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just, it just goes back to like the nuance of the different characters. I think with, with Azula, what I love so much about that beach episode in terms of the color and um, 
just a mention of her, even as someone who's like, yeah, I'm evil and I know that I'm evil, is seeing her like, yeah, I'm evil and I know that I'm evil, but I still want a boyfriend, you know? Yeah. And like, I still, like, I'm still a teen in these different yeah. ways. And, yeah. and to see like, how, how does someone who wants to take over the world respond to a party? Yeah. At a, at oh, a house. God. And I was at the beginning of the beach episode, I rolled my eyes and I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. This is not fun. Um, though, as a designer, I was like, those are really bold and interesting bathing suit choices. Yeah. I'm here for this. Yeah. Also, I love a hot fire nation boy. Strike mm-hmm. me down. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, well, until we, until we get to Cora and then I love the earth boys. I like the earth boys. Um, Bolin specifically. Oh, I just Bolin. Like Bolin. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we knew it was Bolin. Oh, we knew because everyone was like, no, 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 Yes. Nuck-tuck. And, you know, you get to that point and you're just like, oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe Bolin's not Bolin's because everybody's like, oh, he's the thick boy. And I was like, oh, he's muscle. He's, <laughs> yeah. I, I, we did not see really a fat earthbender the whole time. So I just don't think it's possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think seeing Azula like try to keep that shit together, and then finally when she was like, you know what, we're gonna do this the way we do it, and and when they went back and trashed the party, and it's just way more fun for everybody. Yeah. Um. And Dante Bosco did such an amazing job of traversing, making Zuko relatable, even when he's making the stupidest decisions, and he could be just an angsty meme lord. Like, mm. they, like Avatar's in the time of the scene kids. Like, it could be really easy for him to just fall to that, like, wilting emo boy, and he never really does, yeah. which I really like. Um, and it's the same way they don't always make Sokka the goofball. Like, yeah. he could he could easily just be, but, like, you also, like, he's, he's the lover boy. You root for him with all these girls who, like, like Sokka. And you're like, all right, Sokka, I'm here for this. Well, um, I love that the self-awareness of the show where, like, he is, he's goofy and, like, he's got these lame one-liners and some great one-liners, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, I like that humor. Um, and, and then you see scenes and episodes where, like, when he goes to train um, with, his, with his master uh, in the Fire mm-hmm. Nation, his comrades are like, you know, his friends, they're like, Where's Sokka? Like he's he's got all these lame jokes. I miss him. And so there's yeah. this self awareness that they're like, this is kind of an archetype, but also we know that we know that that's the case, and also we know that right. there's more to him than that. Right. Well, and the scrappy hero is like is where you think Aang is, but the scrappy hero archetype is actually where Sokka lives, mm-hmm. and that idea that like Sokka from a toddler was trained to be a warrior. Like that is what the water nation does. They know how to hunt fish and they know how to go to war and defend the nation with boomerangs. Um, and you know, and also like Sokka getting this, the star sword, space metal sword. Um, you know, they're just so, there's so many things that again, they keep growing And like Katara. She could be the know-it-all. Um, it really easily. And we see that actually cause them to fall apart in book two. When we get Toph, who is the polar opposite of Katara and, you know, with, with having an earthbender on the team and just the difference of what that means between Aang's flightiness and Katara is so grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just so craving for knowledge and things. And it's one of those, they took from a Harry Potter fans out there. They kind of took that, idea of what jk rowling and what i mean everybody has done with your hero trio and they just 
they flipped it and they really made it work. Um, something kind of going with this that I also appreciate that they did. They made sure that you saw that there were, there were good people in every nation and there were bad people in every nation. And like sometimes in the fire nation, it was only uncle Iroh, yeah. um, which God, we could all strive to be more like uncle Iroh, Iroh, especially right now. It's well, but I even liked with the fire nation that they always would show a lot of the warriors were like, just doing their jobs like they yeah. could fire bin so they could, like oh i think it's book three when they're going oh yeah it's right before the comet and there it's all of the um blimps the fire nation blimp and you before ozai becomes like fire blaster ozai yeah, yeah. and and they were like i can't believe he remembered my birthday <laughs> and oh we probably haven't met because i worked down in the, the and i was like like I'm over in HR. You know? Yeah. And in, in any other show, they would have thrown those four lines out and they wouldn't. Cause like in a 21 minute show, 90 seconds makes or breaks a whole episode. And for me, they were willing to live uncomfortably. in a lot of these moments of people being people. And I think it was ultimately so that we would still be rooting for Zo for there to be a fire nation left for Zuko to become fire lord of yeah. or or you know secretly I also was kind of wanting Iroh to take over and be fire lord for the rest of his life but it's also not what Iroh wanted at all sure. so um not after he lost a son it wasn't worth it and I think they also did a cuz this is also back Bush we just got Obama in the like the mm -hmm. last 2 years and so it was also, or the last year, and so a lot of it was also that idea of, like, they're not pro-war and they're not pro-military, but they're pro-learning why people decide they have to serve or pro that there are people serving whether they want to or not. And I think that is so, it was such a beautiful moment. Well, it's very interesting with um, the Fire Nation, how there's, like, you know, t talking about how the first episode we we get themes of feminism and or, and and mm -hmm. battling misogyny. We we cover imperialism. We cover genocide, yeah. wiping out the the air nomads and this this um, manifest destiny. At least from a, for U.S. listeners out there, right? Yeah. Um, that like we we have a responsibility to share and spread what we believe is best, and that's what the Fire Nation does. Really, mm -hmm. like so. I think that the the leaders there. Um, they're, they are more nuanced than they, um, than we might first expect oh, them yeah. to be, you know? Oh yeah. Well, and there are those moments too where, well, and then we see pure colonialism with that. They decide they have to help the savage people of the, the earth nation. They yeah. just, they must help them, um, and develop these colonies. And, I think the smartest decision they made was that having the avatar before Aang was Roku and having him be a fire Lord fire, fire nation. Mm -hmm. And then as we went along and found out that he was like best friends of the fire Lord and he's yeah. Zuko's, he's Zuko's grandfather. You're just like, like the more they layer on to that family is just, it's, it's so impressive to me. And so, well, and something else with that, the callback to characters that they easily could have never mentioned again. Mm. And cause in book one and early book two, we get a lot of one-off characters that we meet in one episode and we could never meet them again. Also, even smallest things is like the cabbage seller. Yeah. Like he is, <laughs> he is 
Fast forward to Korra, right? Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, and it goes all the way into Korra, also just because it's a nice moment. Like, it's one of those, like, we're just now getting Funko Pops of the Avatar characters, and the Cabbage Guy was one of the first set we got. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just so funny. But it's those moments of, I felt from a storytelling standpoint, every, whether it was ultimately all thought out, you could tell that the show controlled its beginning, middle, and end. It knew where it had to end. They gave us a single thread that wasn't wrapped up that if they wanted to continue, they could, Mm -hmm. but they knew where they were going. So they knew how to traverse the universe in order to bring, bring, keep bringing people back. Yeah. Um, like that we had, I love the, the, the white Lotus men and bringing all the old dudes back to help them like fight and like, referencing that like a hundred years seems like no one from Aang's time would be there, but like Boomy's still around. Yeah. Like God bless King Boomy. Like, you know, it's just one of those things that they, I love nothing more than we all get sad when a show ends, but I love a show ending on its own terms. Yes. Yes. And Avatar does that in such an amazing way. Yeah. It's just, it's so concise and so, well thought out, or at least it appears to be, you know, to mm-hmm. me when, when watching the show, I like talking about a uh, legend of Korra for a little bit. I, I really enjoyed when I first saw the first couple episodes, I was like, Oh my gosh, this animation style, like this is so much more nuanced than what avatar was. Like I've got like such a crush on Korra. There's this strong, powerful, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this, this person who is in a way, not the full antithesis to Aang, but very mm-hmm. much so, you know, not the spiritual character. And so there's a lot that made me go into it thinking, man, this is going to be really, really cool. But what it, what it doesn't have that Avatar The Last Airbender has is three is character development and story arc over the course mm-hmm. of three books, whereas mm-hmm. Legend of Korra feels like it, it, there is still some growth, but it's, mm-hmm. you, you feel like you're on, I feel like I'm on three journeys that are connected yes. whereas yes. avatar the last airbender is one epic journey over three books mm-hmm. yeah i agree with you and it was obvious so you can tell the difference between where nickelodeon was as a network in 2008 versus where it was when they started cora mm-hmm. and with cora you know most people are like cora was so rough i couldn't get past book one and i was like well oh, really you go yeah a lot of people and i'm sure a lot of people you know i didn't have that problem i thought it was a little rocky in places but like they checked all the boxes for me that Avatar did early on, so I was on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't have Appa, but we had the the giant polar bear dog. I oh, love him. Gosh. And, you know, and we've got the fire ferrets, and we've got this idea of, like, because um, I love the idea of, like, I don't like steampunk necessarily, but I love that they were like, what what did industry looked like in the Asian continent when it was happening in the West as well? And so answering all these questions of... You know, you've got technology that is making people as strong as as benders. But like what happened when the the Earth Nation had the access to the Fire Nation's technology? Mm-hmm. What happens when the 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 water tribes stopped being so separate from everyone else? What happens yeah. when we connected these things? Um, and I like that they didn't separate it from Aang. It was important that Aang wasn't there, obviously, because we couldn't have another avatar without Aang. Um, and, you know, Katara is there. Um, yeah. And uh, Zuko comes in later, and we get tough at one point. <laughs> but, like, we have Lin Beifong from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of, like, 
the police force uses Toph's technique of metal bending, which is just really right. fucking and then, like, cool. And fire benders uh, who can, or lightning benders and uh-huh. metal benders can come together, and then we have industrial revolution grade yep. technology. And what, yeah, and what does that mean for what, you know, we see Asami the first time in a, in a, a motor car. Like yeah. the idea of what has changed in less than a hundred years to get Korra where, you know, and what cities look like versus what cities look like before. And importantly, they changed art styles because they were paying attention to how art changed in the East and West. Mm -hmm. And so it looks way more like a lot of um, Asian uh, pulp novels and magazines and things looked in the early 20th or early 20th century, Mm -hmm. like a pre-World War I and World War II. And so it's really interesting to see all of the change in this world with Avatar. But you are right. I think one of their big things was they they had an idea of what they wanted to do, but then you had a network going, oh, I can't do that. And then so they were going, okay, cool. And I don't think they started book one of Korra knowing where book four was going to end. Yeah. And so I think that was a problem. And because for me, like season two is book two is fine, but it's lost until we get the Avatar Wan episode, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. Again, changing art style. And it went back to the idea of the old like Kabuki um, screens and original yeah. like old, 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 old Asian art. And, you know, anybody that's had a humanities or art history course can see that difference in just brushstroke and all of these things, which is just beautiful. Um, but I wish you were correct that there's not as much character focus in, in Korra. Also because we launch in with a lot of characters from the very beginning of Korra. Yeah, it's a lot. What I, what I liked about it is the way it, it expands on the world. Cause like if, if the plot isn't that great in a given show, I'm still there mm-hmm. for it if the world is cool. And, oh yeah. And, you know, and, and the, the propositions that the artwork and the storytelling is making about that world. And I think that's what I liked about a lot of Korra. Not, but the plot was also good. You know, not, mm-hmm. not that it wasn't bad, but I think mm-hmm. that Avatar, The Last Airbender, like, introduces us to the world mm-hmm. in its own way. Um, and it still allows us to grow with it. And, and it, it introduces a lot of, just, it introduces a lot. Mm-hmm. Like when we first get exposed to the spirit world and what that looks yes. like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed, um, and then seeing that expanded on in Korra, it like was something that I, I thought was really cool. And, and, and again, like another thing that a children's show can do, it, it can't, you have a character that's like, you know, I don't believe in spirits, you know, like you have Sokka being very secular, very, yeah. um, you know, kind of very enlightenment age. Like if I can see it, if I can touch it, you know, mm-hmm. I believe in it. Um, and, and then you have a society and, and a, and a world that is built on, um, and predicated on the existence of these spirits, um, Mm -hmm. that, uh, have their own agendas and personalities and aren't, you know, aren't deities in the, I I mean, you know, I guess this is just kind of standard for, for Eastern, uh, uh, certain Eastern cultures, perceptions of, um, or Asian cultures, perceptions Mm -hmm. of spirits. And the the roles that they have, but it's still it's cool to see it on a show on Nickelodeon, you know. Yeah, well, and it's one of those things that I think it again it showed this show set a tone for the next fifteen years of animation that would not just be for kids, mm-hmm. um, like 
I don't think we could have had Adventure Time and Steven Universe and Regular Show mm-hmm. and um, uh, Midnight Gospel and all of these shows that are really they're psychedelic and weird and pushing envelopes, even though they're sold as a kid's show, you know, Steven universe episode one, he's sad because his favorite ice cream bar is being discontinued. And, you know, in episode 100, he meets bismuth and, you know, has to do things that Steven doesn't like to do. This show is the same way. We get this wacky nine-year-old boy who it just wants to like ride around on his little air ball yeah. And like play sports that he and the rest of the air the the air nomads made up and those cute things and but again we see that evolving quirk because we see a sport where you need an airbender a waterbender and or, or you need a waterbender uh, a firebender and uh, an earthbender to yeah. play the sport together and you know they're just those things that are really interesting um, but again and in that they go that's a world where humans that are not benders can live without bending and live beyond bending because they don't need it, which is also something that I think is rid that equalizer, um, of, of everything. I just think the production designs top to bottom is so smart because again, it could have been really cringy Asian stereotypes and, and cherry picking things, but you can tell the art department and the designers did their research. Yeah into and even the idea you brought up the spirit world that every animal is connected to the spirit world but they have a different form in the spirit world and i love that mm-hmm. um i think it's the one with the forest spirit that's just the big panda and he's just grumpy yeah um it's it's so i love it so much um but with that i love that they use the spirit world to give ang limitations because he's a Superman type character and it could be, and cause we see that avatar state really early on. Like we see him achieve that avatar state with, with little control because that avatar state he hits in book three at the end is very different than his book one avatar state. Um, and you know, that is also limited by that. He didn't know how to earth bend or fire bend. He barely knew how to water bend. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just so interesting. Again, I think it's because they knew where they needed to go with it. Um, and they were, I think what is helpful is they are so self-aware and they knew, I think with that, they knew they had to be careful because it was pre the idea of the over gatekeeping of, of um, PC culture and this idea of gatekeeping cultures and things. But mm-hmm. um you know, it's, they were so respectful and so reverent and they were like, uh, I want to talk about the theater episode from book three a <laughs> yes. little bit. Um, but that is such a study of Beijing opera and Kabuki theater and knowing how they achieved these grand fantasy scenes in pre-electricity and pre-technology, like what that looked like. Cause we've been flying people in theater for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. So like, or not really 2000 years, but for like 1500 years, we've been flying wow, people yeah. in theater. So yeah. like, again, anybody that's taken a theater history course should know this, but you know, it's just, they're just so informed about every choice they made. And in Corey, you could tell they were able to make up the world more. They were creating a world that didn't ever quite exist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they really flexed hard on that in Korra <laughs> in many ways. But, um, yeah. you know, in Avatar, I think 
Avatar is grounded in a way that they could let Korra could fuck up a little along the way if they need to because it's a different show. It's mm. a different kind of show. Yeah. But again, they couldn't have made that show without making Avatar first. Hundred percent. In terms of um, you, you were talking about the kind of appreciation and attention to detail that the animators had. I want to talk a little bit about the the different martial styles that inspired the choreography. <gasps> yes, for please. The different, yes, um, the different nations, right? So. Water Nation is Tai Chi, right? Mm. And um, earthbending is uh, Hungar, um, airbending is Bagua, and fire is Northern Shaolin. And to and like, just for my own sake, one of the, one of the things like when I watch something that like I'm very inspired by, I start to like geek out about it, like mm-hmm. really dig into the culture and like find find something that I can incorporate in my life to a degree mm-hmm. to, to grow from it. And so for me reading about the different, um, the different combat styles, I, I had already been watching a lot of, um, Kung Fu movies that focused on, um, Shaolin temple and, and Shaolin in, in terms of, uh, as an umbrella term is different from Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, which was actually developed. Oh, I want to say the 18th century, like long, well mm-hmm. after the Shaolin temple, right. Had mm-hmm. been founded. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so watching, watching, uh, the different techniques and the, and the movements that are in, like seeing, seeing them assume like horse stance and like, I know what horse stance is now because I've been like taking, you're just reading about, um, like fundamental kind of martial arts stances and stuff and reading about the, the languages that they're using with like, Oh, let's go, let's practice the forms. Um, or these mm-hmm. sorts of things that are, that, that show that they have explored the ways in which these sorts of skills would be developed. And it's not just like, you know, it's not like Harry Potter where, you know, mm-hmm. the words and a swish and flick. And it's, and mm-hmm. this is kind of, um, where, where we're still kind of learning the rules of it. You know, yep. this is fundamentally a martial technique that is endowed with, um, El, like elemental ability, which also makes me, I was, I was talking to um, my girlfriend about this, about um, how fire and bending is the one element that is bent. That is not from something that like is preexisting around mm-hmm. them. That is something mm-hmm. that comes from within. And I thought that was at the time I was like, sure, I'm totally on board for it. Seeing it in avatar, the in seeing it in the movie of the last airbender where they have these, uh, you know, fire like torches and sconces around, and they they move it from there. I was like, oh, that's uh, that's an interesting choice. But I I actually think that the notion of this energy coming from the breath, coming from mm-hmm. one's inner chi, is um, is cooler. You know. Yeah. Now I will say something controversial. I actually do like the limitation of the fire nation having to have fire. And then that there is that one day of the year where they have unbridled power to create it. That was the one thing that I went, it limits them a little more, Mm -hmm. but the fact that they've still taken because they have to take it with them and they've developed that technology, Mm -hmm. they're still fairly unstoppable. So that I did, that is an aspect I did like, but I agree with you now that I've seen the show. The thing about fire is because you know, they always say, don't light a match by um, by uh, gasoline, do all these things that they were like, static electricity could start a fire. It's this idea that really fire could start from our very, you know, 
the air around us, but also there's, we always say you got to find that fire inside yourself. you got to kick up that fire. I mean, it's the only good song from Little Women, the musical. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, yeah, it's this idea that like they can create that fire. Also, because like an airbender is always going to have air around them. Um, and that idea of like Katara had to always have that little vial of water, which was very yeah. a smart character thing. But there is something really interesting about the technique of firebending and them being able to create that. That is really interesting. And again, it obviously makes them the power player because then they can separate earthbenders from the earth and waterbenders from water. Right. And they just get rid of the water, the airbenders. So like. You know they they can kick that back and this, so I I agree it's a very it's a very interesting thing that they did in telling that story um, that is really really great yeah it's yeah yeah it's, it it stuns me to like to see just the attention to detail the different the poses mm-hmm. even with the hands like there's we see when when Boomy and Ang are fighting just, just yeah. again just it just speaks to the animator's attention to detail the just the concepts. Um, the the inspiration points and the influences and um, I remember reading that Toph's style of earthbending is actually a little bit different. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's because I don't remember if it's because she's blind, um, or or not, but that um, uh, Ch- uh, Chugar Southern Praying Mantis style. Um, she yeah, um, the Wikipedia article it develops a unique yeah. fighting style as a result of her blindness. Well, and so Toph is an interesting character because. Especially now, we're all looking for places that we can put non-white, non-able bodies because non-white and non-able bodies are all over life. They mm-hmm. exist. They are people that are not straight, not white, not all these things are what makes up most of the world, the communities that we're in. And so without saying anything, but when they go, okay, cool, so Aang's... Uh, earthbending teacher is actually going to be like a 10 year old blind girl. Who's a princess. Yeah. And everybody goes, no, you can't do that. And they just went, listen, fucking watch us. And it's, it's interesting because again, Toph at times is such an unlikable character and we know we're supposed to like her, but we watch her fumble because also her leaving her kingdom was really important for her character because she also had to grow mm-hmm. one. Okay. Also, cause the episode we meet her is a WWE wrestling episode <laughs> yeah. with a parody of the rock named the boulder. And he's got the fucking <laughs> eyebrow. Like it is one for all my wrestling fans out there. It is one it is prime Two, It made me want to go watch like the last 10 years of, uh, WrestleMania. Um, but like, it's, it's one of those, it was so smart. Again, it was so smart in how they did it and they didn't alienate their audience by doing such a niche episode, Mm -hmm. but it taught us so much about Toph. But then to like three or four episodes later when they're at the library in the desert and she's like, I hate flying. I can't see in sand and this idea, but like that there's constantly this idea that she's not powerless because of her limitations she's powerful because she learns how to work with her limitations Mm -hmm. which is what all of us do i mean i'm a hard of hearing person and it always but like passable because i lost my hearing later and so it's one of those things it's like it's so impressive anytime 
that you can just see people that are like, yeah, it's a part of me and all of these things, but it, nobody has told them at any point that they're limited. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having Toph go, oh, I need to play this role, but I'm really this other person again, which also speaks to so many other aspects of all. I think it's a show for the others out there in the way that like the X-Men were always for the others in comic books and, Mm -hmm. and Toph represents so many of us having to like play a role, but really being this like strong badass. And like once we're able to impress that, but but at no point did they ever make her a victim. They didn't use her as the brunt of the joke. They didn't make her weak because she's a woman or because she is um, othered. She's not a, you know, it's, they didn't take an ableist approach to her. And I think it's beautiful. And, um, oh, I forget his name, but the, uh, the, the earth kingdom boy that's in the wheelchair. Yes. The, uh, the, the, the son of the inventor. Yes, the son of the inventor, who is such a fun... Like, he's such a badass character, too. Yeah. Like, he flies into war, literal war with Aang. Um, like, they just... At no point did they say, oh, we're going to have this character, and it's going to be the after-school special episode with that character. Um, mm-hmm. But even you you talked about Sokka's... Gen- like, because Sokka is such a bro. Like, he's such a... Uh, he's the neck. He represents yeah, he's the like, neck. Girls beards. can't fight like Kyoshi yeah. warriors. What? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was going to bring up the Kyoshi warriors who continue to come back time after time after time. And I love them. They are so good. I just found out that a book was published last year about avatar Kyoshi. Really? It's yeah. It's two books about her life and she's canonically uh, gay, uh, which I love. I love um, it. uh, So we'll get to that in a bit. But, you know, they do all these things where at no point do they make these people feel sorry for themselves or, you know, what a lot of able-bodied people do when they put others in their pieces. Um, They embrace that, like, their bodies are different, but they are still warriors. They're still genius people. They're wonderful people. And so, you know, it's just one of these things that, like, they did so many things right without holding a light up to themselves and going, "Mm, we did these things. Look at us. We're so good. Yeah. They're just like, this is part of the world. Mm -hmm. And as it is a part of ours and Mm -hmm. let's get on with the show, you know, let's, let's not make it be a big deal. Yeah. I want to talk about something real quick. Um, they, it's, I think it's just called tales from bossing say I, yes, I, (laughs) ah, I'm so glad you brought it up. Also, I was shocked that they were only nominated for one Emmy for Best Animated Series. Mm. One. During the whole run. Rob. And to me, watching Tales from Ba Sing Se and then the Appa episode that comes immediately after it, um, I was like, this is their Emmy episode. Like, to me, they tell four beautiful stories in 21 minutes. Yeah. In the mo- and it's just... I might cry just thinking about the Uncle Iroh part of it specifically. That's that's one that will always stay. Like, it's... This is a kid's show, you know? It's a a kid's show show that makes me cry. But also, how many times in kid's shows, they show us several different ways to deal with grief in this series, Mm -hmm. and none of them are by letting ourselves be powerless. Um, And... You know, they also show, like, what happens when Zuko is so obsessed with, like, revenge versus Iroh, who's there every day trying to be better, and that's how he's avenging his son. Because mm-hmm. Iroh could have snapped and immediately gone gone toe-to-toe with his brother, but yeah. he didn't. Also, I didn't know that Fire Lord Ozai was voiced by Mark Hamill. Yes! <laughs> 
Does it just make it so much better? Yes, we'll have to get to the voice cast eventually because it's so good. Um, But yeah, so this Tales of Bossing Say is, and like the fact that one of them is a Momo, like mini, mini thing. Um, Also, like my heart weeps for Zuko for so much of the show. And for us to get like, he goes on a fucking date. Like it's. It's so sweet. And when he leaves and then he's like, how was, how was your night? Slams the door, opens it again and goes, it was nice. And then it goes back in. It's like, we just, the layers, the layers of Zuko. Well, and they also, it shows like Zuko is the most teenager, teenager that ever teenaged. Like, like, cause he's a teenage boy who's angry at everything for no reason. Yeah. Well, and just, and he'll slam a door and then he. And he always is so abusive to Iroh, and Iroh's just like, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> um, again, because Iroh, Iroh is so opposite of the Fire Nation in every reason, mm-hmm. and it's because of the loss of his son. And we knew kind of what happened, but I think we needed that not even, it's not even five full minutes mm-hmm. of how... Oh, when he, when he goes to the fucking tree and pours a cup of tea yeah. and just talks to like, it's, Oh God, you guys aren't going to, okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it, but it's, it's one of those things that also that those, I imagine that those episodes were more stage direction than any, than, than dialogue. Like there's not that many. Like Zuko has the most dialogue because it's he's on a date, but even then it's awkward and fun. Yeah. But we they let us live in silence for so much of it. And as viewers, a lot of times, like in theater, we talk about this all the time. You can living in silence makes an audience uncomfortable. Making them live in darkness makes them even more uncomfortable. And so those beats feel longer. But like, so we just live with the score, which also the music. Jesus, it's so... It's beautiful. This series scored by anyone else, and also the sound design of mixing the the bending noises, and just, this is one of the most environmental shows that I think I've ever seen. Because especially in an animated series, you've got, like, some underscoring, and you've got key audio but like you don't have a ton of sound effects and this show is all sound oh effects the water the air and yeah it's <laughs> just it's honest, so but good yeah. but that for me like that tales of bossing say one it also helps us learn where all of our characters are in such an important way mm-hmm. and we didn't need to give each of them an episode because i think if everybody had an episode it would have been too much yeah um and each of those things actually helped us tell our further the story in such a way mm-hmm. that we then could give Appa a whole episode. Yeah. Um, well, it's just like when Zuko leaves and he goes and helps the family on the farm, that did need to be a full episode. And there are those moments where they, we, where they stop us and we have to live in a moment because we have to learn something. And it's really rewarding as an audience member to like, be invested in a character and see them change and grow and then think, Oh, because we then change and grow without really thinking about it. And we start altering our perception of how we look at other people, which I think is very important. A concept that my uncle, uh, who was the first person to expose me to like D&D and, uh, mm-hmm. and role play, um, talks about in uh, just storytelling, um, the value of like, like 
I'll call it like the cool moment principle, and that like mm-hmm. if you're in a D and D game or in um, in a show that that the characters I think let's let's talk about D and D for a second. Gets yeah. um, they giving each player a moment that that specific character gets to grow in in a way that makes mm-hmm. them feel like they are the protagonist in a very kind of particular way outside the context of. Um, being a party, like co-opting to yeah. to achieve some sort of goal, is something that like a player really, really uh, can value. And I think that the storytellers in Avatar: The Last Airbender do that with all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Every character gets their cool moment. You know, Sokka gets to mm-hmm. meet um, a master, and Katara gets to meet a master and do the water bending. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's in ways that aren't just these are the protagonists that meet these points in the arc. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's this kind of full multifaceted way in which mm-hmm. Zuko gets to have his cool moment. Iroh, yeah. <laughs> Iroh is a cool moment, you know? Iroh is a cool moment, yeah. But in even, you know, going back to the beach episode, we get a vulnerable and, like, weird moment for Azula. Yeah. Like, we, you know, and I also always forget, I was like, Azula's, like, 16. Like, we've got, <laughs> we've got to give her this. Like, yeah. she is a literal teenage girl. She's got, you know, she got a cinnamon bonnie bell on. Like, she's just, <laughs> she's living her life. Um, but, like, stopping a prison riot. Right. Um, you know, and they're, and, like, Katara completely co- overcomes systemic sexism. Mm-hmm. And, like, generations of, like, I can't imagine, like, the Water Nation women can only be healers. And it's this interesting thing because at this point in m- medical science, Women could only be nurses. They could only be caregivers or doulas. They couldn't be doctors. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there is some really interesting parallels that we then see, not in a moment of, I overcame this thing. Because, like, we all know that Katara is, like, one of the strongest waterbenders we see in the whole series. Oh, 100%. Like, that's, that's the whole point of, like, why the creepy woman in uh, book three has her learn bloodbending. Yeah. Because you can... You know, with these kids, you can feel the raw energy off of them. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, and so it's, and we even see it again with the Kyoshi Warriors in a non, in non-bending moments. They make the non-benders of this equal to the benders in really important ways. Um, And again, going back to Ty Lee and May, uh, they have such a really cool arc at the end of the day. Like... They, they have a really interesting come around. And of course, Tylee becomes a Kyoshi warrior. Cause yeah. why wouldn't she <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's, and then I only imagine what happens when may comes with them, like joins team avatar for the next adventure, because you know, she probably will. Cause she's not going to let Zuko leave her alone the next time. Yeah. Um, she's going to be too bored. So, but it's these things of, this is expert storytelling. And even when like, Secret tunnel episode, the like one-off D and D episode, <laughs> yeah, where it's like, what happens if Team Avatars with a bunch of fucking bards? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can also tell that the creators were theater people at some point because oh yeah, they rag on theater people so like <laughs> secret tunnel, <laughs> secret. It's so good. It's just so good. But um, but they also are like artists are going to help us tell this story. We're going to have to progress it along. I feel like even in moments where we feel like it's a wasted moment, it's never a wasted moment. Mm-hmm. And the things that these people are overcoming are things that even like, it's been 15 years since the, the pilot aired. And so, which is weird to think about 
Yeah, wow. But we're still dismantling things that they were addressing in in the show 15 years ago, which were things we were addressing 20 years before that. You yeah, know, Qatar, it's not one of those shows that's like, you know, for its time, it made a lot of, you know, it did mm-hmm. a lot of good things. For its time, yeah. And now, and now yeah. it's still just as prescient. And there is not a single moment that is cringy or makes me go, ugh, that didn't age well. None of it. There is none yeah. of the show that feels like it aged poorly. Yeah. Actually, I feel like you couldn't make Avatar now because people would lean too hard into what they were saying and it would be too heavy handed. Mm. I think the way they were doing it then, because we all had hope for a different future. I don't think we were hoping for the one that we're in. (laughs) This timeline is fucked. I don't want to live in this one anymore. But, um, you know, there are these moments of, again, we meet these characters who continually come back because even jet who has a really weird storyline for them. Oh yeah. You know, they, it ties into the Iroh uh, storyline. It ties into the Zuko storyline. There's just, there's just so much. And the lovely thing is at times there are, the stakes are very small, even though we know there's eventually one very large stake Mm -hmm. that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they let us take time to get somewhere, you know, they, You know, in book one, it's it's a big idea. They have no idea what they're trying to accomplish, uh, the characters. And then they're like, okay, we got to go to the North Pole. That's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in book two, he's starting towards, you know, it's the comet and the, the blackest day. And they know they've got to, that Aang is eventually going to have to take on Fire Lord Ozai, mm-hmm. which is a huge thing. And then finally, when you get to that Dragon Ball Z level fight at the end of the show. Oh, it's so but epic. E- so epic <laughs> holy shit when the fire lord sparks those like yeah. hundred yeah, yeah. Like, so I, at first i was like okay fire fire bending like on the one hand it feels like it has an advantage because mm-hmm. you you don't need to have an element around you as long as you just have like your your inner breath um and at like first i was like okay so what you you can it's almost like they're they're designed to be oppressive and warmongering because you know fire it's hard to, to create so seeing so seeing the episode about the the firebending masters was so different to to see mm-hmm. this society where um where you could use fire in a way that was uh, re- really non-destructive or at least not destructive mm-hmm. in the way that the fire nation did it so so yeah i was like oh man firebending is seems mostly just kind of destructive and then <laughs> i was like i can fly you yeah. can use fire to jet propel yourself i was like okay wow this is that's cool you know oh yeah well especially when we started seeing like what azula could do and we're like okay crazy girl okay yeah. crazy all right <laughs> well but what i really like is that at no point they don't do what DC let everybody do to Harley Quinn for a very long time, which is like, just call her that crazy bitch. Mm. Whereas Zula, you're like, I wouldn't ever utter that because her hands will be on my throat. I will be dead. There will be a lightning blast to my heart yeah. as soon as I, you know, and it makes so much sense. The more we learn about her that like, she naturally fi- like bends electricity. Like that is just like, she doesn't bend regular fire yeah it's always blue blue flight but it makes sense because she is so hot burning and she's so focused and driven Mm -hmm. and then you actually kind of feel 
terrible for her on her because we don't really see it happening and then we see it overnight where yeah. she starts to unravel and i know everybody at home as you watch this through quarantine there's a scene near the end where azula cuts her own bangs and everybody i went girl i'm right there with you <laughs> this is quarantine like yeah. all of us in quarantine are azula in book three like right before that finale because then she gets that like weird swagger of the like unhinged Azula. Yeah. And you're like, and, but something also that we talk about, you talked about the four techniques in all of the time of Zuko following Aang. It's not just Aang learning the four techniques. It's the other benders learning each other's techniques to improve their bending. Mm -hmm. Zuko only wins because there are moments where he is firebending in an earth technique and then he's firebending in a, uh, in a air technique and firebending in a water technique. In a way, it's the only way that he is able to actually counteract Azula mm -hmm. because she has that mathematic brain and she can pick apart what he's going to do before he does it. Until she can't because she doesn't have the grasp of having the art form like she also the few Fire Nation people that I love are the ones that look at bending as an art form, not as an oppressive tactic. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the whole point of the Fire Lord um, is that it's a tactic. And with the grandfather, it was a tactic. It mm -hmm. is a tool where instead of that, it's you know, Zuko and Iroh, even, I think they, they look at it as a gift. You know, it is a, it is a gift that they, um, they are given. And so, you know, it's, I see it a lot in Iroh where like his, mm -hmm. the use of fire and the way that he incorporates it isn't just the way that we see it like in, all of the, the intros where you see the Fire Nation attacking and they're all basically, you know, they're using mm -hmm. it like a weapon, but you see um, Iroh introduced, I'm thinking about when he uses it to like warm his tea because yes. it's cold or when he then uses it to breathe fire with his tea or with the water, you yeah. know, and, um, and just has these, like he's very, he's much more creative with fire in a way that makes me think of Iroh more like the mm -hmm. community of firebenders um, where Aang and, and Zuko meet the firebending masters. Um, yes. And this, and this idea of fire being more than this thing that's generated to accentuate your, your, your punches and your kicks. Yes. You know? Yeah. It takes on a yeah, life it, of its own in a different way. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful, and it's so, it's just, it's so interesting. And even with the world that we're living in, because I started, um, you know, with everything that's happening... We started actually seeing, you know, more memes are coming out that are Avatar memes because people are revisiting Avatar. Mm -hmm. And the, um, there is no virus in Ba Sing Se, <laughs> uh, Judy memes. But what's interesting, so I was just looking and the episode that they were nominated for an Emmy Award was City of Walls and Secrets, which is when they're given the house in Ba Sing Se mm -hmm. and Judy gives them the tour and um, they run into Jet again. And which is really interesting that um, uh, it is that that is the Emmy episode. And it does make sense now that we look at it. And what's interesting is where they are in Bossing Say at the point, I believe, is where we are in America right now. Mm. Like, it's it's hard to watch because everyone's going, you don't need to wear a mask. It's fine. All the kids can go back to school. It's all good. And we're like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? 
we can't travel across borders right now. I'm not sure this is very good at all. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those. And so it's interesting now looking back and kind of seeing what, uh, you know, what they, you know, these stories that they were telling that were also these moments of, of, Oh, I lost it. My brain. It, it, all good. All it, good. Yeah. Um, it, 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 yeah. So what are, was there Alan? So as we keep going, is there anything that you upon watch now as a crafter, a storyteller yourself, is there anything that you would have liked to see done differently about the show? You know, that's, that's a very good question. I was, I was thinking to myself, like, what, what did I want more of that I wasn't getting? But I found that every time I was asking myself that question, the show gave mm-hmm. it to me. It just gave it to me a yeah. little bit later on. You know, it gave me yeah. more about Zuko. It gave me more about Iroh. It gave me more about all of the characters. So all of, I think the thing that I would have wanted was to really feel the nuance of each of the characters. And I got that, you know, I wanted mm-hmm. to know more about the world. And then I got that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like, I don't know. I, I guess the what's built into the show is that you don't really get to see the air temple and, and the air nomads mm-hmm. in their in their prime, mm-hmm. um, and you don't get to see many um, pacifistic firebenders. But then you do, mm-hmm. you know, you get to see, yeah. you know, firebending not in this villainous way necessarily, um, yeah. and you get to see more of it, like in Legend of Korra, which I think is cool, where you get to see a firebender who's not a hothead really, like he's, right. you know, he's he's much more evenly tempered with the other characters and, and, um, and so I think that's one thing that I found myself seeing not as much of like the, but I think Mm -hmm. that's also because the fire nation itself was this oppressive imperialist force. So I think where I got some of that human side in the fire nation as an industry, right. Or as a, an, uh, as a nation is when we see some of the fire nation, um, citizens uh, be oppressed by others or be um, discriminated against by others by virtue of the fact that they are fire nation, you know, and you, and you get to see the different layers and levels of the society where, you know, it's the citizens can't control that they're going to a war that, you know, that their nation Mm -hmm. is going to war. And, and then you also get to see the kind of the, indoctrinating processes when Aang goes to Fire Nation school, you know, and yeah. then, and then, um, and so you do get to see, I did get to see a lot of the things that I, that I wanted to see, I guess the air temple, um, and the, the air nomads as like a group, but I get some of that in legend of course. So it's like, okay, you know, it's a little bit of redemption in that. Um, but yeah, I think that was one of the things that was missing the most. But it made sense. Nice. You know, it was always yeah. necessary. Yeah, yeah. I think it makes sense, and I think we would always go back to one when we needed to get to a kind of um, a regathering moment. But you know, at the same time, it was one of those where they we didn't want to spend too much time at the the Air Nation because every time we did, it was a trigger for Aang. Yeah. Um, and you know when we're uh, when Zuko finally is like. Oh God, that great when he's like, "Hey gang, it's uh, Mizuko." It's one of my uh, favorite moments of the whole show. When Zuko's trying to figure out how to be like a normal human being and like introduce himself to the people he's been trying to murder for a year and a half, yeah, like it's so, 
It's so funny. He accidentally um, like burns Toph's feet. I'm like, if this is D and D, you know Zuko just rolled a nat one in diplomacy. Oh well, in Zuko rolls a nat one a lot, which <laughs> yeah. I think is something really interesting about the character. No, I will say no. I said this about Shira, Princesses of Power on Netflix as well. Mm-hmm. Avatar, in many ways, watches like a D and D campaign plays, um, because there are moments where. The characters just literally nat out and they're just like, well, here we are. We fucked that up. And then that one time where Aang having his back hit in just the right spot on that rock to unblock his chi is the greatest moment. And it's such the it's the nat 20 with the modifier that is exactly one higher than what the that monster has uh, life left, like hit points left. And so it's yep. Oh, and Azula always rolled really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's, it's and that moment where Aang's chi unblocks just at that moment he needs it to in that fight with Fire Lord Ozai. That was, that was like, one part where I was like, well, it, that, that was the one moment where it felt like the course of events was uh, not character driven, you know? Right. Like, that's the one moment where it's like, oh, it just, just by luck, just by chance. Yeah. Well, and it's because I think Aang, they steadily had a whole stream of like, they are not lucky at all. It's like what happens when your party is just not fucking lucky. Mm -hmm. And then after, but then you'll get the ones where like, they end up really lucky. And then it's like Bossing Say, and they're like, oh, we're not lucky at all. This is not lucky. Um, You know, or yeah, when they make it to the, the Northern Water Tribe and they're like, oh, thank God. And then Sokka's girlfriend becomes the moon and we watch the earth, you know, the ocean of moon spirits murder and Aang becomes a giant kaiju. Like there are all (laughs) these things where you're like, things went really bad. Or when Appa's missing, I love, I loved book two when Aang gets messy and Aang gets really angry. And because what's funny is like, he spends book two so the opposite of what the air priests taught him. And then in book three, he spends the entire time begging people to tell him how to not kill Ozai. Yeah. Oh, also the, um, I'd say the, the lion turtle also total stroke of luck. Yeah. That was another one where, it, where I kept thinking about that seek that part of book three. And I was like, Oh, but I loved when they talked about like the, you know, so much of the, the spirit world and this connection. I'm like, they didn't really. Oh, it was all in yeah. Legend of Korra. And that's another thing yeah. that I thought was cool in Legend of Korra where they talk about the um the spirit world and the and yep. and bending. Um Yep. Well, and we spend so much of Korra the later seasons like and I love Korra once it, you could tell it switched online and so they were like fuck the censors. We can do whatever we want. Um, and that show got a lot more solid also because Nickelodeon let them go and they just let them make the show, which is what they should have done to begin with. Um, cause it worked with this. Um, but yeah, that's another moment, but we also needed a moment where Ang, Ang needed like a mom and a dad. Ang needed someone who he could hug. And for him, that was, uh, um, Avatar Roshi for most of the show. He was like that, the grandfather to him once he didn't have the um once he didn't have the the air the air nomads mm-hmm. teaching him he needed that like because like i love when they're like avatar kiyoshi killed this man so now you have to die avatar kiyoshi's like yeah i killed him i'd fucking kill him again <laughs> and you're like 
Okay. Great. Which is why when we get off here, I'm going to order the Kyoshi books because I want to read them. Because <laughs> you want a messy avatar. I feel like Kyoshi's a messy avatar. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, I see it. But I, yeah, they're. I think, so I think the only thing I can say, and it's because I say this about everything, and they did fix it with Korra, even though now some people are like, it really wasn't. I just wish Avatar had been gayer. That's my only thing. Yeah. I wish it had been gayer, but it didn't need to be because they made so many things naturally come out of people, and... I feel like if they had like if there were some characters that they tried to pack that into or, you know, there and there were probably queer characters I just didn't see because it wasn't important to the character development. They didn't need to be pigeonholed as that into a stereotype of what that would mean for. Um, also, it's 2005 and it's a children's network. So I also feasibly learned. Well, and then we get to Korra and it gets real gay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Real gay. I mean, even if it's just Asami and Korra, it gets real gay. <laughs> um, but also, and that's just time progressing. And hopefully, you know, if there is a future, you know, or maybe. So, Alan, we talked about the movie and it's not great. And it's because they had. So I feel the best movie adaptations from from source material. The only people that make it appropriately are the people that created the, the property to begin with, or people who are such diehard fans that they, they're committed to it. Mm-hmm. And I get when M night Shyamalan was like, my kid loves the show. He's like, I think I've watched five half episodes. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And he was doing it as a love letter to his kids. I hope his kids were very angry with him, but it's also, this is one of those things. It's like, why We're at a point where episodic writing is just so much more effective than like the blockbuster writing, Mm -hmm. because like even um, over on Let's Rewatch, another podcast on certain POV, they just did a kind of a roundup of all the Marvel movies. And they were like, the Marvel movies got really solid when they started writing each movie as if it's an episode of a TV show Mm. leading into something else. And so also... They did a lot in 13 ep- or that first season is a lot of episodes of of Avatar. It's quite a few episodes because yeah. the seasons get shorter and shorter, which was really interesting, um, which is we now see happens a lot with the, you know, the TV that we are telling now um, that, uh, you know, but so they did all these things. Hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. There are 66 episodes between three seasons, but Season one was a whole lot of episodes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it was uh, 21. 21, which is what we typically expect from... Oh, wait, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dirty liar. That was book three. Book, book three oh, was yeah. 21. Uh, book one Book one was 20. Yeah. And book two is short. I believe, if I remember correctly, book two is short. It, it, it is short book. Um, Could be. Oh, no, it's also one, a long yeah, one. I, I'm, I think it's Dirty Liar. Yeah, Dirty <laughs> Liar. Well, I mean, three seasons, 66 episodes. It didn't feel it's long. It's got to get bigger. It didn't feel long. Well, and that's why with book three, I went, wait, was this a short series? Because I felt like like episode eight, when the comet or when the, the eclipse happens, you're like, oh, this is the end. And then I went, oh, no, they have to fuck this up. 
yeah. in order for for there to be more. And like, I like that Katara was mad at her dad because he just never came looking for them. Mm-hmm. Like the war was so much more important. Hold for. Sorry, folks, I'm in Florida, so we're getting our typical midday storm that's going to last five minutes or two hours. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there are all these moments. But, you know, I, how do you cram 20 episodes into a two hour movie, even a two and a half hour movie? How do you cram? Like, why would you want to cram yeah. all of this beautiful story? So, you know, there's this moment of... Um, you know, when they're setting up so much for book two, like we get the blue spirit halfway through book one to set him up for book two for, mm-hmm. for, for, uh, Zuko and, um, and all these things that, so we're getting a live action series of avatar on Netflix. I can't wait. I really can't. I'm wait. so I'm also going to say, I also can't wait because it is the original creators. Mm-hmm. It's the team. It's going to be awesome like that's the thing is now there are some things where i went i don't know if i'd want to see this in live action but netflix throws so much money at their series that i think i mean it's already been in production production is halted right now because of covid so it's going to be a little while before we get the series but it is one of those where i go you know i don't mind i don't mind um and they are they're committed to a culturally appropriate and non-white cast, which I think is super or non-white, non-whitewash cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so which was the biggest issue with the movie? I, th- um, what I, I think it's so interesting because M. Night Shyamalan was vocal about his intent for it to be a very uh, cult- culturally diverse cast. What I thought was interesting is that the majority of the Fire Nation um, were cast as, uh, I believe it was Indian and Iranian, yeah. right? And, yeah. um, and which I think is interesting because the source material is, I think they said that they, they wanted it to be um, like imperialist China. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it makes me wonder like why, like I, I appreciate the, the, mm-hmm. the opportunity for representation for, for actors of color but it, it does change it does change the story a little bit, I would say. Um, yeah. It's interesting to see it, and I think also with the namings of the characters, to see Commander Zhao, you know, do you, you, and, and also just the way that the characters are, right? Then the, the, the way that they changed a lot of the fundamental personalities, I feel. Like Iroh, mm-hmm. totally different. Totally you know, different. Sokka, not and funny. Not well. Also, it's because all Jackson Rathbone had done was fucking Twilight, <laughs> and so he's got the man bun, and he can't sit there and just look pensive and sad the whole fucking time because mm-hmm. he wants to eat somebody. Like that's. Mm. But the nice thing about this is because the title alone sells this property. I hope it's all like mostly unknown people. Now I will say. Dev Patel is an amazing actor. Yeah, I was actually was really good. excited to him to see him play Zuko, and I think they cheated him because he was the only one that I go. Actually, you're really great in this role. Let's we could leave you. It'd be fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's also one of those um, of like why in a world where you don't have to make brown people the villain, why are we making brown people the villain? Yeah. Like, also his scar was not that big. It wasn't that bad. Zuko looked fine. Like, why? It's a little point, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, 
the whole face. Yeah, and when we first see Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender, he looks a little scary, you know? His his, yeah. his hair is, is done up. He's got a, a very fierce demeanor in himself and in his um, in his armor. And then in the, the film, he's, he's just a little grumpy, you know? He's a little grumpy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. And I so I'm I'm unabashedly excited for the series. Me too. The fans at home can can come for me all they want. I am worried they're gonna make it like twelve episodes, so they're gonna trim some fat. Mm. Unless they make them hour-long episodes. Then make it an hour-long episode. Give it to me. I will sit through all of it. Um but uh and so we've talked about Korra a little bit. Um I I think everyone should give Korra another chance if they didn't like it the first time. I think it's really important. Um and it was it was them being messier. It was them making some mistakes because they didn't make a lot of them the first time around. And so, you know, they were telling a very different story. Like writing for Aang is very different than writing for Korra, and right, you know, and Bolin and Mako are very different than um, Katara and and oh, and Sokka. Saka, thank you, and Toph. You know there are these. You know there are these moments of you know, and then Asami being, Asami is so much different than Saka because she's the non-bender. So you know they're just they're, the dynamics were different. But I think I liked that they wanted to approach another story of another Avatar and do it in the future. I kind of like doing these. Every, every, you know, eight or ten years, give us another Avatar series. Mm-hmm. Go into the future. I don't care. Um, but, you know, it, uh, it's a thing that I just... There's, there's so much bad happening in the world right now, and this is just so vehemently good. And it, it gives so much hope, and it encourages everybody to be better people. That I think I think everybody just needs to go back and rewatch Avatar. They need to watch it for the first time. If you're not an animated fan, watch it anyway. It's so good. It's so good. Don't watch Friends again. Don't watch The Office again. Nah. Don't. Um, so two other things I want to chat with you about. So yeah. I know it was in the interweb communities. The creators have posited this idea of the next Avatar actually being identical twin Earthbenders. What Ooh. do you think about that idea? This is news to me. I'm I'm not too much on the interwebs, so that's so, so well. And this was like four or five years ago because they were already oh, they so were talking so about yeah, doing. Yeah, they were talking. Well, this was so. This was back when Avatar was on Netflix the first time, and Netflix was starting to do original programming, and so they were talking about taking it to Netflix and having Netflix be the center of avatar Hmm. of the next series. And so I guess it'd be that idea of like, well, an avatar is a soul is a being, but what happens when, you know, you've got one clump of DNA and cells. What happens when that cell happens to split into two cells that are identical? So they both technically are the avatar or, could be the avatar. I don't know. What What do you... So, because also then my idea would... Um, the, the, they didn't talk timeline, but I go, okay, Korra goes into the spirit realm at the end of Korra with Asami. So, like, does that mean Korra ages? Does she just die one day? Does the avatar cycle start again because she's in the spirit realm permanently? What does that mean? Or assuming Korra can get old, if we're in, like, 1930s Japan... Korra lives to be 70. That puts us in like 1980s, 1990s. And so like, what does like think of like a vaporwave lo-fi 
Avatar world? Yeah, what does, like, that, what does that look like? And also, that, like, in terms of the storytelling, like, are they both the same element? Yeah. You know? I mean, I guess probably because of the Avatar cycle. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that would make sense. But then, like... Well, and can, like... Can each of them only learn one of the other two? And so you have to have them together? Like, what does that mean? Is their avatar state them combined so you can only actually achieve the avatar state when they're both together? Yeah, what happens if one dies, you know? Exactly. Like, does that start the whole... Does that start the next thing in the cycle over again? Like, what what is that... Yeah. What is that... What does that do? I'd love to see a differently abled avatar. Yeah. Because I think what, or even like a differently abled bender, because most, you know, and and just to to see what that world looks like and to see how the creators build on that um, and, and to see what it's like to have these sorts of powers, what those powers look like. And I mean, I guess to be fair, Toph is, Toph is um, differently abled. But like, what happens if like Tio, who's the who is uh, the Earth Nation kid that's in the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. What happens if he were an Earthbender, right? But he physically is not connected with the Earth. Like, what does that mean right. for his bending? Um, you know, or what if you know what does a bender even you know what if it was a waterbender without? Oh, don't right, we get in that Cora, in, yeah, Cora? in Cora? We yeah. get we get. Um, a waterbender who has who who doesn't have arms, but the arms are, yeah. are just of water. So I guess yeah, I I guess I take that back then. Um, yeah, but yeah, I you know, uh, yeah, but you know. So I think I agree with you. I think, or what happens? Um, you know, there's no like trans characters yeah. in Avatar, and so I'm not saying they need to be there just so we can check a box, but like. What does that mean when you are a spirit entity that is... Because technically the Avatar is non-binary. The moment you become the Avatar, you are completely non-binary. But you as a being, because that's the whole thing I love about Aang is... Aang is like, I am Aang and I'm the Avatar. I am two beings that are one, but I'm still Aang. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you also have that aspect of of each of these Avatars are... um, you know, they are everyone that came before them, but like they have to work hard to access that. Or like, I would love to know more about that female airbender that was the last airbender before, uh, before airbender Aang. avatar before Aang. Yeah. And cause she's very interesting. Her look was just interesting. And so, um, you know, or, you know, this idea of two spirits, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or do we get to a point where there's also another continent of people that they didn't know before that? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, cause I was the only thing in Korra. I was like, well, what happens if these nations aren't the only continents on the planet, but they just haven't gotten there yet? Oh, that's interesting. Does bending, does bending exist there? Like what would an America's look like? Yeah. Um, with, you know, the woman who we don't speak her name because she's a, a turf and we don't like her. Um, but she started talking about this in Fantastic Beasts and like, what did American witchcraft look like? Because it was the colonists coming over, but the the First Nations people had their own magic. Mm-hmm. It was wandless magic. They didn't need that Eurocentric magic in the way that like white Europeans had harnessed magic. Mm-hmm. So like, could bending look a little different? I, you know, I don't know if that's expanding too much, but again, this is a universe that I would love to continue to see them revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would love is an animated movie that 
picks up the comic because there's a run of comic books that picks up right after book three and it's them looking for Zuko's mom. Right. And it's like, it's like, I believe three volumes. I have not read it again. I'm going to order them as soon as we're off the call tonight. (laughs) Um, Because I know Azula is a character in that and they do utilize Azula and I don't think she's good, obviously, but, um, and like, you know, they didn't really address Aang. I mean, until we get to Amon, this idea of like Aang learning the chi blocking from the, the, the lion turtle. turtles. Though I do love that when we get Avatar Wan, that the lion turtles are the ones that gave them the Avatar power. Like right. that so, was like, cool to me. I was sense. like, yeah, it's, it's so it made sense that Aang learned how to chi block from, from them. But you know, it's, it's all, it's such a rich and vibrant world. And I want to live in any world where we have infinite storytelling possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that is just, and that is this world. It's this universe. And that's where I want to live. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. So I want to go back now because most shows are guilty of doing clip shows or, uh, recap shows. Mm-hmm. And now this show always had really in depth, flashbacks at the beginning of every episode yeah. to some, and it wasn't always telling you what happened episode before they would, they could go back books. They could go back yeah. 25 episodes. Cause like when jet showed up, we got a little recap of like what happened with jet. The, the per- first time that we got jet. Mm-hmm. So book three, we get the Ember city players episode. Yes. Of Avatar the Musical, which I will put it on our social media. There is someone on TikTok right now doing doing clips of he's writing an Avatar the Musical, and it's so good. He'll put a little hoodie in front of his eye when he's doing Zuko. He's just this cute little, I assume he's queer. He's just so adorable. The music's fire. It's a bop. I would, I was like, I'll produce the show called Nickelodeon. SpongeBob was great. Get Tina Landau in. Yeah. Let's do Avatar. Um, but they get away with doing a 21 minute recap episode of th- two and a half seasons of a TV show <laughs> that we have just watched. That's like poorly performed by like community theater essentially. But like it's, it's an, so in every TV show you get to a point um, for my Buffy fans, this is Tabula Rasa and the musical um, where so much has gone unsaid that they have to say everything that's gone unsaid because it ruins everything. And it's the exposition that needs to move on. Mm -hmm. And so for team avatar, it was this episode when they had to watch themselves, watch through everything. And it was great because like Toph wasn't around for book one. So Toph had no idea what happened. Suki's been gone the whole goddamn time. And so like, she didn't know that like Zuko fell in love with the goddamn moon. Like, you know, those, it's it's such a cleverly crafted episode because one it makes fun of the show and all the absurdities of it like mm-hmm. Aang being this very anti and the whole thing about it is the the all three nations there are such gender stereotypes mm-hmm. for all of for men and women like men have to be masculine and have honor and all these things. And women are delicate and fun. And so Aang being so offended that a woman is playing. (laughs) Um, And again, it's like I said before, it was also just so such a smart mirror of like Beijing opera, Peking opera and early Kabuki. Like it's so interesting as a theater person to see. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But what were what were your thoughts as like a musical theater person or a theater person? Oh, I loved with that it. episode. I loved all of it. The it's similar to like the Secret Tunnel episode where you uh-huh. have these just artists living in this world. Um, you have like Sokka's objections to the the liberties that are taken with his character. Yep. And him like going backstage and giving his his input on some some jokes that he can throw in, um, and yeah, I think um, like it was cool to like watch to watch what what you said was a, a great representation of um, Beijing and Peking opera, and and to to feel like I'm getting uh, an experience that's different from watching animated TV. It's always cool yeah. to see a different medium of art in a different medium of art. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know yeah. if you watch Supernatural, but there's the, there's one episode where, um, where Sam and Dean are uh, trapped in this world of television. And so you see them yes. come in and they're, they're in sitcom mode. You see them, they're in PSA mode and, and all these different genres. And this, to, to see, to, to have everyone be in on the joke of, yeah. of we're playing with this medium. Um, I think the that episode does a great job of it, and then also is cool to like see that they are um, kind of hammering in the different archetypes and having mm-hmm. the characters go. I'm not that archetype, you know. I'm not that yeah. having Katara go. I'm I'm not that motherly, am I? And have Toph be <laughs> completely happy with her representation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Well, and it's great because again, if in less capable hands, that is what Avatar would have been like. Mm. Like, Katara would have been the crying, weepy girl. And, you know, it's all these... It's... it's Oh, God, it's just... It's such a thing. It's it's so... It's so deliciously community theater in so many ways. Yeah. No offense to anyone in community theater. I got my start in community theater. I love community theater. Same. But it's, it's, it's also... One, it's showing the absurdity of another art form that they obviously have so much reverence for. Mm-hmm. Um, in musical theater, but again, it's, it's what happens when we acknowledge that the rest of the world is aware of what's happening within this world. Mm-hmm. Like also the question is like, who's been telling the story? Yeah. Right. Who's, who's been talking, who was always there. Cause like even the cabbage guy is there. It's, you know, it's one of those moments, but it's also, it's also an interesting use of propaganda and propaganda yeah, at the end theater where, where which again, wins. yeah well and again that's also something that happened with Beijing and Peking opera in the middle of the 20th century there were a canon of like 13 shows that were allowed to be produced they all were rewritten in ways that um, glorified uh, Chairman Mao and and all these things, including Mulan, which is really interesting. That mm-hmm. the idea that Mulan was reworked as Republic, the uh, People's Republic propaganda, like it's so interesting. Just and you know, it's seeing that in this because then it's also one of those that they they then go, wait, we haven't done this yet. This has not happened. And it, all, it, it gives Aang that kick of, oh, God, I'm assuming everything's going to be okay because I'm the Avatar. Maybe it's not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to happen? And so that was, that was really interesting. And, again, it's, it's so funny and so good. And it's an episode that you could show anybody without having them have watched the rest of the series at all. Um, I think there's way more payoff if you've watched the rest of the series because oh, yeah. it's way funnier. Yeah. Um, 
But also, like, no other show would be ballsy enough to do a recap episode where you're watching other people play the roles and you're watching the cast watch it. Like, it's just so... It's so smart. Just the writers so, are so smart. It's so smart. Yeah, they're so intelligent. I would love to see more from them that's not even just in this world. Like, they world build in such a beautiful way. When they were talking about doing Magic the Gathering and things of, for Netflix, I was like, call the Avatar team over. They would handle the magic lore beautifully. Yeah. They can handle... I would love to see a story set in Ravnica written by these guys. I would... I'd love it. Like, it's just so... I think right now I'm searching for anything it can to give me peace and serenity and joy. And that's... Even at its, even at its lowest moments, this brings me so much peace and so much joy. Um, that it's just... It's, it's just so good. I can't... Yeah, it's, I can't watch like, the show without feeling good. Like, every... Yeah. every Every character, even when they're bad, like it's just, I'm meaning like villainous, they're just, it's just yeah. so artfully done. Yeah, art, it, it, is a, it is a true piece of art. And, uh, oh, I, well, I had something profound to say and I, it's gone. Oh, oh, no, no. So this is, so we saw this happen with The Good Place this year. Um, and several other shows have done this. I want shows to stand up to the networks and end when they want to end. Stop a show when it hasn't been overplayed, so we don't get the last season of Game of Thrones. Um, you know, just those oh those moments of those moments of know when your story is done, but it doesn't mean you can't come back to it. But know when that story is done, right? Or have have an end goal in sight and know where you have to get there. But like, you know, everybody was so sad this year. They were like Supernatural's ending, and I was like, babies, y'all. <laughs> It ended a long can, time ago. I mean, all those men are delightful beefcakes. They are so wonderful. As queer baby as that show is. Um, you know, but that show should have ended 10 years ago. Yeah, but there when are just I first those saw it, my, my aunt and uncle, I think, had me watch up until like season six, five or six. But mm-hmm. at which point, what... Um, was it the, the creators or directors? Uh, some aspect of the creatives changed, and they were yeah. like, "So at they're like, as far as we're concerned, this is where the show should have ended." And then it reverted to kind of monster of the week style. Yeah, uh, and there are ways to make monster of the week work. Like Buffy is one of those weird, rare shows where, despite what we now know about Joss Whedon, he, with the exception of season four, which is a little rocky, um, they always made like. Each time Buffy dies, they actually kept the show going without her for a little bit to bring her back. But that was an, an where Monster of the Week worked because that was the show. But like Charmed, they they literally did a final episode and then they went, oh, wait, we're coming back for one more season. And that last season was a cacophonous disaster. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I would love to see especially when we're in an age where Americans are taking the the kind of European model of how to tell stories in six or eight episodes instead of 22 um, to do like Avatar and just end when you're ending. Yeah. Like have an end in sight because then you'll know what story you're telling because I think so many American shows get lost because they forget the story they're telling and they don't have an end in sight. Yeah. They have a temporary end. Um, and yeah, so I, and it's just, it's perfect. I love it. It's so good. It's, just, it's so good. So, Alan, if you had to pick, ooh, a favorite episode, a favorite scene, they don't have to be from the same, 
and a favorite character, what would they be? Yikes. Okay. Um, I know it's a big question. It's a big it's a question. big question, but it's also an easy question because, like, Tales of Bossing say has my heart. Yes. In many yes. in many ways, the beach episode has my heart in a different way because of the way it like unpacks the mm-hmm. nuance of the villainous characters and also leads to some sweet redemption stories by the end of book three. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite, what was next? Favorite character or favorite moment? Yeah. Favorite character. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Favorite moment. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite moment in the series. Okay. If you've, if you've got one that just, and it does, it can be either it's your favorite and it wasn't good or favorite and it hit the feels or just favorite. Cause you think it is the best. <sighs> That's that's tough. Um, I I'll, I'll throw out some contenders. Uh, Great. Appa is is just he might be my favorite character actually. He, mm-hmm. he, yeah, these two answers are these two questions are tied together for me because I think my favorite characters um, in terms of what they do for me and watching them are Appa and Iroh for you know for so many reasons. Like I what what I think is cool about Iroh is that he the Iroh that we see is so different from what the story tells us that Iroh mm-hmm. was for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that might be something in a, in a flashback or some element that like would be really cool to see, to see, yeah. um, to almost like have a rogue, a rogue one equivalent of avatar, mm-hmm. like something in the hundred years <gasps> war where we see oh. Iroh as the, as the villain, you know, Ozai's basically, um, Palpatine, this this kind of more amorphous mm-hmm. villain that we don't even really get to see, um, but then Appa is, I'm amazed at how much character there is in this non-verbal, <laughs> yeah. lovable creature. You know, just the it, even just the way that he's drawn, he's just he's so cute. It's oh, you have the you can't see. I've got I'm holding up my Appa Funko Pop. They've made him in several sizes. I have the small size, so but so cute. He's he he good boy. He's goodest boy. He's so cute, and just like the and and the voice acting too for Appa is just mm-hmm. is so successful. Um, so good. He's, he's just such a great actor. Um, I forget his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, and then favorite moment. Hmm. Moment or two. Moment or you two. can have maybe, or even top three moments if that's easier for you to, I'm, to break down. I'm a, I'm a sucker for redemption moments. So like one of the mm-hmm. moments that sh- shocked me, um, was, uh, during the prison break and, you know, and, and uh-huh. just, and seeing, uh-huh seeing Tylee and, and May just like that. And, and not just the actions that are, that they perform, but also like the animation of it, the, the eye contact, the, the, the playing with time, um, Mm -hmm. is, is really, 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 really powerful. Um, and, and Zuko's moments. Like I think his, his cool moment, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, or one of the first ones is when he tries so hard to, um, to befriend the the group and see oh, you know that, yeah. that whole sequence um that's i think that's a great moment yeah i think yeah i think those are lovely alan i think that's wonderful mine are very similar i think i think i have to put tales of bossing say with that oppa episode separate because they are they're such beautiful they're an experiment in storytelling they're beautiful storytelling they're so so delightful um but i th- uh, honestly i think my favorite episode for reasons and i don't know why this episode 
hits so hard for me, but it's when Zuko leaves on the the ostrich horse and mm. he helps the farm family until they find out that he is Fire he's Fire Prince Zuko. And so I just because he that character, I don't know why Zuko resonates with me a lot, but it's because he he is intrinsically so good because that is who it's such a beautiful oh study of nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. Um and like the nurture versus not so nurture of Azula and Zuko. Um and so I think those moments from that that episode for me, it just hits it hits so hard, but uh, also the beach. I think for me, the beach episode stands out because of Zuko mm-hmm. and we see what actually happened and why he got thrown out. But then like his mother leaving mm-hmm. in those moments of his grandfather dying and his father becoming fire Lord. Also his fire, be- his brother became, or his dad became fire Lord very young. There's a huge age gap between him and Iroh. Yeah. And, and cause he's, not gray haired. <laughs> uh, that's like this whole thing is like, he's this also, why are the fire nations so ripped? Fire Lord Ozai yeah. rips off a shirt. Oh my I, gosh, was like, yeah. I was like, I don't like muscles, but like evil daddy vibes. Let's go. Yeah, Like Ooh, a man okay, s- sitting on a throne has done you well, you know? Oh yes. <laughs> like he's, just... uh, he's not fire Lord. I'll call him fire daddy. Right. Not really everyone. That's ridiculous. The gays need to watch things and not thirst trap, but especially this it's so, well, it's also weird because you've got so many people that are in their twenties and thirties now that were like, Oh God, I wanted to date Zuko when I was a kid. And I was like, it's hard now because like I'm watching it and I was like, I'm not into any of these kids cause they are literal cause children. They are children. Right. Um, they are children. So, but it's so funny when people go, Oh, that was my crush. And I go, that says a lot about you of who your avatar crush was. Um, yeah. <laughs> though my friend was like I didn't know I was gay but I crushed on Azula real hard what does that say about the women I love and I was like I now understand why you uh, don't date I get it <laughs> um, characters uh, yeah I think it has to be it's a cut between Iroh because you have to and I think that's adult me I, I think if I'd watched this through when it came out, I think I'd, I don't think I would have appreciated Iroh in the same way. My dad is very much like Iroh and he's very goofy and sweet and loving. And I am a lot of the human I am because of my dad. And so I don't think I would have appreciated Iroh as much as I do now mm-hmm. when the show first came out. So Iroh and Boomy, I love Boomy. And he's so good because he's also a grounding force for Aang. Like he's, Aang has these, Aang's team avatar goes so much farther beyond Katara and, um, uh, Sokka. Sokka. Oh my (laughs) God. I'm so mad at myself. And Toph. Um, and, and Appa, I think be, well, also because they did this really interesting thing of they looked at a bison's eye and then what a color flip would be, like what an albino color flip would be. Mm. So Appa's got like five dimensions to his eyes in a way that like none of the human characters have. Mm. And I love Appa's, and I loved Appa, but again, it's not until Appa's episode of Appa trying to like save the day on Appa's own and escape 
Um, also because, so it blends into my moment. One of my moments is Aang hitting Avatar State in the desert because they took Appa. Mm. And Katara crying and Katara pulling him into her in full Avatar State. Yeah. That's another moment where, like, Katara is just so much stronger than anyone thinks she is because of that. Um, but also my other... It's a really well-crafted episode because it's it's such a bait-and-switch is the episode, I believe it's early book three, when we see Katara turning Toph into the Fire Nation. Because it's the the gambling episode. Yes. And and that though they're the two moments of like that beginning moment and then the moment where Katara realizes that they're in a wooden prison with no water and they are boned because they knew they were coming for them. Mm-hmm. Um but uh honorable mention is gonna go character wise to um Explosion Man. Oh God! What did they call him? Uh, uh, the, the li- like, oh man, was it, it's not. It, yes, yeah, Combustion Combustion Man. Combustion guy. Combustion yeah, guy. he's such a cool silent villain. Like he's one that he I would a little, want a little bit more lore on. I wanted I wanted his backstory one because we don't oh, under I don't understand his bending ability at all. Yeah. Um. It's- unless the only thing I could think about because. It's centered around his the the mind chakra right. right here, and he's got the. Uh, unless I wonder, did is he not a bender, and then had bending unlocked in him, and oh, that's, that's why it's all mind. I, yeah, that's his. Is the only f- because we see a lot of alternates to bending of like the sand bending, and I love the swamp people. They're, oh, they're so, so weird, <laughs> but like I love that they can bend the water in the plants. Yeah. Like that is a really cool. It's almost like blood bending, but for plants. Yeah. The the all of the like uh, bending adjacents that we get, I think, is just really cool because I also I love a Power Ranger series. I love the X Men, so give me a power up. Like all of these regional variances and how they bend, mm-hmm. I think, is really cool. But also then just Toff's like, I'm gonna do this thing until it works yeah. and develops fucking metal bending. Um, you know, I think those are so that moment and then. Yeah, and then I think, well, my other moment, I think, has to be in, it's in that first episode when we watch Katara get so mad that she splits the iceberg in half. It's just so cool, and it says a lot about the strength of that character, and I just, I really, I'm a big Katara fan. I haven't talked about her a lot, but I'm actually a huge fan of her character and how human she is and how much stress she takes on herself. Um, and rarely do I find myself rooting for a straight couple the way that I do that I root for Aang and Katara. <laughs> but also, because I always get wigged out by romance and teenage stories because I'm like, why are we sexualizing teenagers so much? But in this, it, it's not like Sabrina now where it's just like teenage orgies. This is like actual teenage love. Yeah. And like, and I love that Suki shows back up and that she's in the last battle with us. I think that's so important. Um, the women of this series keep the series together. Cause also like, I can't imagine that I would have cared about book two and three if it had been an older brother. Yeah. Um, Tezuko, if the fact that it's Azula makes it way more interesting also, cause I can't imagine caring about a male counterpart to May and Tylee. 
Yeah. So it's what what I love about the show is the way it um, handles masculinity, and yes. you know, and it whether it's Sokka putting on a Kyoshi Warrior outfit and being being used to wearing or encountering wearing like a dress and makeup um, and yeah. armor and still being like fierce and powerful, or or seeing. Having, I mean, Iroh is very gentle in his way, you know, which I yes. think is a great foil to Zuko's um, brash, aggressive, kind of hyper, certain hyper masculine qualities. Yep. Also, against his, when we see him as a child, where he's so gentle and he's such such a tender hearted human. Um, and to and going back to your nature nurture uh, or nurture versus less nurture, and and yeah. thinking about what Zuko would be like if his mom had stayed around more. Uh, or not yeah. stayed around. It wasn't her fault, probably. But like, right. um, just to to see the tenderness in Zuko, and to see the tenderness in a lot of these um, uh, male characters, and you, we see a lot of it in um, in Korra too, which I think is is yeah. really lovely. Listen, they call Iroh the Dragon for the reason. I feel like he was aggressive and mean and he's everything that he's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and I believe this happened. I'm going to look it up before. Um, but even Iroh who didn't necessarily need a character journey because he's a really fully fleshed out character from early on his journey when he's in prison. Oh my gosh. In, in is, is so interesting and so, Lovely, and it's because it's oh, he's just so good. Um, but I believe I'm looking it up now. But I believe the actor that played Iroh passed away. Yeah, we see, we see, um, the Tales of Bossing say episode dedicated to Mako. Yes, tragic and but beautiful. Well, and so it's so beautiful. And I think they did find a voice actor that sounded a lot like him. Um, you can tell. There's a reason why Iroh is not in as much of the rest of the series, and it is because, you know, the the second voice actor is lovely, but he doesn't have the soul depth that Mako had. And so um, I also like to think that's why uh, the characters named Mako and Korra. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, And so it's... But that was a hard one because I I think I tangentially knew but didn't look it up. But it was one of those that I just went, oh. and I, I But, like, having him just be, like, honing his body. Because we see him as, like, this, like, plump, delightful man. And you're like, no, that man is ripped. Yeah. He is, he is going to make a prison break. But he's still so sweet about it when he tells that one woman, he's like, you should go. You should not be here. You know, because it's, again, they work really hard to show us kind and gentle, wonderful people in the Fire Nation mm-hmm. over and over again, and that they are rewarded for being good, Yeah, um, which I love, and that they don't just needlessly kill all the Fire Nation soldiers. Yeah. I love that, like, we see all of them, they, like, swim up in the water and oh, all these kinds of things. All the time, so, whenever, like, a plane explodes, anything catacliz- cataclysmic or disastrous happens, you always see someone like get to safety first before we see the thing hit the ground yep. and shatter. Yeah. Which I think, well also it's a kid's it show, a, yeah. but I also think it's important because Ang is trying to do this with as little blood on his hands as possible. But it also does just show that there's such a difference when how like Sokka and Katara and Toph are willing to deal with things versus how Ang wants to deal with things. And I think, 
I think this is a really good look at spirituality because mm-hmm. it's a good conversation to have of like, you can be spiritual and faith-based without being part of an oppressive religion. Right. Um, and I think this is another reason where I always, this made me want to revisit Buddhism again, not to be that white person that like appropriates Buddhism, but like Buddhism was a system of principles to like work with any religion to just be, a, it's how to not be a shitty person. And I think yeah. we need that more than anything right now. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think we see that in, in Ang's, I mean, the, the whole, the whole nomads, even their, 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 uh, costuming is based mm-hmm. off of, uh, Nepali yeah. monks. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really, yeah, they're, they're an inspiring nation out of, out of all four, I would say. And I think it's cause it was really exhausting in book three to see that Aang constantly was like, I'm not going to kill him. I can't kill him. We're not doing it. And to have all the avatars that were like, sometimes you got to <laughs> kid, even the other airbender. She was like, well, sometimes she was like, that was teaching how to be the monk. It's not teaching how to be the avatar. Mm. I was like, I don't know if I would have liked the rest of you all. You all were not good people. Mm. Like generally like, um, uh, uh, Oh God, I, I'm blanking on everybody's names. The Fire Nation, the the Fire Avatar Roku, Avatar Roku. Thank you. Um, he's the only one who like gives Ang like solid, practical advice because they also showed that he was a good person, yeah. um, and like that his was the downfall of the good people of the Fire Nation. But there were still good people there, um, and so you know. But it's. I, I like to think now that you've got silly Aang. Um, also, I just love going to Korra that Tenzin is so much like his mom. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, yeah. so, he's so much like Katara. It's so good. It's just so... And just knowing how silly Aang is and Tenzin is not at all. And it's just so... But that we do get to see older Katara and tough and you know it's they tied the world together and so i would encourage everyone who has not watched avatar go watch it anyone that's seen it but hasn't watched it recently go back rewatch it and then everyone go watch cora go watch cora like also i don't really believe in owning media anymore but like who knows how much longer this is on netflix so maybe go buy avatar on (laughs) blu-ray oh so that's my only complaint other than that it's not gayer I hated that they didn't do it in the the Blu-ray ratio. We got it in the original Mm. television broadcast ratio. And so there were some times that when I, when I watched it on my phone and my iPad, it was fine because it was smaller. But when I would like do my Chromecast to my television, which is like 32 inches, it, it didn't look great. Sometimes it looked warped. There were just some things. And so that was the only thing I was like, Netflix, why didn't you get the nice version of this? Mm. Why didn't we get the shiny version? But again, that's nitpicking. And at this point, if we're nitpicking, it brings me joy and I'm happy that we have it now. So yeah, Uh, it's so good. Is there anything that I didn't touch on, Alan, that you want to talk about that we want to say? I mean, because I I could talk about Avatar for hours. I think we covered a lot. Like I was like, what's we did thinking about how a children's show covered story elements like fantastic arc themes of imperialism, feminism, mm-hmm. pacifism, spiritualism, um, like atheism or like secularism versus the sacred genocide. Yep. Like it's, it covers a lot in three, uh, three seasons and three books yeah, and is a, a children's show. Um, and it's, it's just like I, friends of mine who had seen it and recommended it told me that it was well, like one of the best pieces of storytelling and art making out there. And 
having seen it, I, I agree. Like it is like from a, from a critical, cause it's something that you can sit back, relax and enjoy. And something that you can mm-hmm. spend so much time talking about and picking apart. And there are very few pieces of art that can do that. And I think this one does it really well. I agree. And I definitely agree with you that we can call this art. Like it's so much more than just, this is that thing that like Walt Disney started talking about and has continued on with a few rare creators is that animation is an art form. It's not something lesser than you can actually do. Like I can't imagine them of ever doing this little live action first. I think it would have failed and flopped and they wouldn't have told an effective story mm-hmm. because animation, you're not limited by animation. You're just limited by the talent of the animators and they got great animators. Oh, yeah. And so, and it has that beautiful hand drawn aspect, even though it was done digitally, like it's still so lovely. And I love anything that ages really well that we don't have to go. It was great, except for this one mm-hmm. thing um, that I think I wish more things would do. Yeah. Well, Alan, thank you for coming on the show with me today. I appreciate this so much. Is there, because you're in New York, you're in quarantine in New York and everything. Is there anything else that's just been bringing you joy that you've been doing to kind of break the monotony of your days or ground yourself? Well, part of it has been a little bit Avatar inspired. Part of it has been watching um, some of the the old old school Kung Fu movies. But recently uh, I got very interested in like Shaolin Kung Fu, um, which is like the, cool. the basis for um, basically all Chinese martial arts. Uh, there's a, a great film called Ip Man, um, which is uh, right. yes, so good. Uh, it's so fantastic good. film. Um, I I watched. I've seen it several times, and I shared it with my dad. Uh, and it's in that showcases the style of Wing Chun, right? The, the which was a style founded by a woman, um, and is just so. It's like read reading about martial arts and and getting very interested in it um, has invited me to think about uh, the union of health and wellness of mind, body, and spirit, not because mm-hmm. I'm trying to get in shape for some role that I want to audition for, right? Right. Yeah. It makes me think not about my, myself or my health for somebody else, but for myself. And mm-hmm. I find that, that martial arts um, have, are an art form, and, uh, and there are many instructors who, who see it that way. And um, mm-hmm. so I've been doing like some, uh, some Qigong exercises in the morning, um, was reading about uh, some like the some of the histories of Shaolin Kung Fu, its connections to, um, and how it's kind of the beginning of uh, of Chan Buddhism in China, and then the connection the and interconnection between um, what we think of as like Chinese martial arts to Buddhism, which which I normally think of as sh- um, a more uh, Indian um, and and more roots uh, with. Mm-hmm. And and it's spread over to um, to China and Japan and other East Asian countries. But to see this uh, and and study um, kind of lightly the uh, a whole other side of the world um, in a way of of appreciation and thinking about how, like you had said about um, with Buddhism in general about how to be a better person. And so I mm-hmm. it's I find that accessing the question of how to be a better person through the body as a means of physical meditation has been super helpful in these times. Well, and I think in Western thought in Western society, there's such a focus on the body from 
an aesthetic standpoint, but we never focus on the mind and how the mind connects to the body and the soul and the heart and kind of how they're all connected. And if one is not fully connected or you're betraying yourself on one of them, you're going to fail in the other portions. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important that you're doing those things to kind of connect them. And I think that, I think that's beautiful, Alan. I think it's lovely. Well, especially being in the theater industry and entertainment where there's such a focus on the beauty of the body, but not the character of the soul. Mm -hmm or the, the depth of the mind. And I think the most beautiful people, no matter what the body looks like, have a deep heart and a connected mind. So I think it's all very important. And, and you are Avatar soul, as Alan. a show points to this connection too, about like they mind do. and body and spirit. It does. And, and thank you for the compliment, by the way. I did, I did hear that. Of it's, course. It's quite lovely. Of you're you're a beautiful human being. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you. <laughs> I miss you. Uh, but that's also why I do these things so I can just hang out with people for a couple hours that uh, though just a couple like literally two months ago I was rescuing my sibling from New York oh not rescuing but we were moving my sibling out of New York we were standing on a street corner and literally out of nowhere I was having the worst <laughs> week and out of nowhere I hear Maddie and I turn around and it's Alan and his amazing girlfriend Christine who incredible stage manager incredible being um were we were socially distant and smart but they were walking past and it was such a kismet moment of getting to like reconnect and get the energy that like i love and i needed so like i love it, it. i love it it's just it's so good so alan where can everyone find you on the internet sure uh i am on instagram i'm not super active about it i like what you know supporting and clicking like on other things but uh it is alan uh a l a n underscore r underscore mendez um that's my instagram handle um you can also find mendez aberman um that's m-e-n-d-e-z a-b-e-r-m-a-n that's my musical theater writing partnership um we've got some things in the works you can find some videos and uh and little clips of uh what we like to do i love that so before i let you go if you could give one or two sentences of inspiration or just advice to our listeners at home for persevering through quarantine and uh, the coronavirus, what would they be? Um, like, know that you are not alone in your struggle um, if you have a struggle. I know that I've been having some struggle, and, uh, and it's, I'm actually going to use some advice from my girlfriend, Christine, um, that... I, tr I try to be very positive a lot of the time um, and find ways to be productive with my time. Um, and she is very good at looking at a situation like this and being like, this sucks right now, um, which I think is also part of um, what she's so good at in seeing the, being honest with the situation to know how to respond to it. Um, I think she does a great job of that in life. And... Um, and so it's something that I'm, I'm trying to, to do as well. She actually talked me um, out of doing a project that wasn't going to be following safety procedures. Um, and I, I had, you know, I think as artists, it's very easy uh, to say yes and very hard to say no so much of the time. Um, and to have someone um, tell me that it's okay to say no because, mm -hmm. because of health and to look at a situation mm -hmm. as it is and figure out how most appropriately to respond to it um, is, oh, is great. And so love yourself, mm -hmm. take care of yourself, feed your mind, your body, uh, and your soul. 
Um, and, uh, and keep listening to Maddie. Maddie's so full of energy, and he keeps me going, too. Thank you for tuning in to another Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine. This show's not going to be regular release, but I'm so thankful for you all for joining us for another episode. We'll have a new episode for the next two weeks, maybe three. We'll see what happens. As always, June was Pride Month, and because of COVID-19, Pride festivals and marches have been canceled across the country, so we here at Isolation Cast and our sister podcast, All Welcome Dreams, it's going to be Pride Summer. On our Teespring, we have some fun Pride items that you can see all the way through the end of August, and all proceeds go to the California Center in New York, as well as the Center for Transgender Equality. We're introducing a collaboration with an Etsy store called Limerick Oddities, all one word, where we have bag clips and trading pins and stickers for Dole Whip and Dreams of Isolation Cast. And 100% of our Dole Whip Pride bag clip is going to go to the Okra Project, which is a coalition helping trans people of color. The links for these can all be found on our social media. And we can be found throughout all social media at Facebook at Dole Up and Dreams Podcast, as well as Isolation Cast, on Twitter at Dole Up Podcast, on Instagram at Dole Up and Dreams, and even on TikTok at Maddie Lime. A big thank you has to go out to Carl, Firefly, Lex, Sasha, Jared, Case, Katie, Jesse, Rob, Heather, and all of our amazing patrons over on Patreon. We have some huge upcoming projects of some new regular shows that will be coming from the Dolphin Dreams family. We are growing at an exponential rate and will soon be offering a movie musical podcast, a cult and cringeworthy movie podcast, a limited run series about the Tudor wives, as well as our deep dive into the true crime genre. You can check out our Patreon and subscribe for only $2 a month. That's right, just 2 bucks a month. But you can always give more, and we will always be so thankful. And over there, you'll find exclusive content early, video content about the reopening of Disney World and what's happening in the pandemic, as well as discount codes and free merchandise exclusives just for our patrons. I just want to give a very special thank you to Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast for the use of the music in today's episode. Until next time. Go out and find your joy. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.